Hi everyone, and welcome to About Practice, a podcast about research and practice in education. My name is Josh Rosenberg, and I'm one of two co-hosts of About Practice, along with Ryan Estriato. And today we are joined by two guests, uh, Jeff Carpenter and Catherine Shelton, and they discuss their article, The Education Influencer, a new player in the educator professional landscape. This was an article recently published in the Journal of Research on Technology and Education. Uh, this article caught both Ryan and my eye, and we were very happy when Jeff and Catherine both agreed to join us on the pod. Um, I'll note now that they were joined by a uh, joined in writing the piece by a third author, Stephanie Schroeder, who was unable to join us for this conversation, unfortunately, on, on the particular day we recorded. Um, just as a uh, brief introduction to the two uh, guests we had, uh, Dr. Jeff Carpenter is a faculty member and professor uh, at Elon University. And his research broadly uh, focuses on educators' self-directed professional learning, especially through social media. And indeed, I've read and um, referred to Jeff's work in this area for a while, dating back to my initial interest in the topic, uh, starting around the middle of the last decade, around 2015 or so. Um, in addition to Jeff, uh, Catherine Shelton uh, was the second author of this piece, and Catherine also has published prolifically in this area. Um, she is an assistant professor of educational technology at Northern Arizona University, and uh, she broadly studies social media and how teachers enact and learn to enact justice-oriented approaches to teaching and learning um, through social media platforms. Uh, I think this was a fun conversation that started off with some of the uh, kind of nuts and bolts and finer points of their article, but ended up um, in a much uh, in a very broad place at the end, um, including uh, discussion about some recommendations about how we can all use social media in more purposeful ways, in ways that are maybe, um, that bring joy to us. And it also led us to discussing about whether uh, whether or not water is over or underrated. So you'll have to stay tuned to, uh, to hear where we landed on that question. Um, not, um, not all teacherpreneurs are educational influencers or micro-celebrities. Um, but what makes a uh, micro-celebrity, okay, so maybe, actually, <laughs> sorry, not my, not my smoothest pod start. Let me, let me start this again. Um, would you all be willing, would you all be willing to um, talk us through um, some of these big ideas around what a teacherpreneur is and what a micro-celebrity is first? to kind of set the stage for our, our subsequent discussions about these? Yeah, I think so. And um, Catherine uh, may be best situated to talk about teacherpreneurs, uh, but I'll, I'll talk, I'll give you like a little bit of the context of what this paper came out of. Um, so uh, Catherine and, so, and Stephanie, uh, who wasn't able to join us, um, uh, and uh, Shelly Curcio, actually, who wasn't on this paper, the four of us were doing a project together looking at Instagram uh, users who had big follower numbers and were um, posting about um, a variety of topics. But uh, we had focused in on a particular group that had an ABAR orientation, um, anti-biased, anti-racist uh, education orientation. And so we were trying to make sense of what they were doing. and. Um, as we were working on the lit review and, and reading uh, some of the theory, we sort of realized hmm, some of this hasn't actually been conceptualized. And so we were having some of the headaches, Josh, that you were just having as you were trying to formulate that question around like, so there's teacherpreneurs, there's micro celebrities, there's like, how does all of this relate? And so um, we were trying to make sense of it as we were doing the lit review and then kind of um, went down a rabbit hole and said, well, let's just turn this whole into a whole separate paper um, because it doesn't look like anyone sort of done this work previously uh, of, of sort of mapping out how these concepts relate to each other. Um, so, so we had heard, we knew that people were using this term education influencer um, or edge influencer, uh, but, but we didn't entirely have it straight in our own head what that meant. Um, and, and so we were trying to break it down into like, what are its constituent parts or what's the history? How do we get here to this term? 
Um, and so micro celebrities, I'll talk a little bit about that. And then Catherine can maybe hop in and fill in blanks and bring in um, the, the teacherpreneur or educational entrepreneur side. So the micro celebrity concept has been out there for a while um, and, and isn't education specific. Um, but yeah, it, it's people sort of leveraging Web 2.0 social media uh, to grow big audiences in a small niche, right? So um, you have traditional celebrities who are in these fields where uh, it, it's a field that's big enough um, that, that there's just so many people interested in this field, you know, sports, uh, entertainment, um, music, uh, movies, things like that. So you can become a celebrity because there's enough sort of attention to your field in legacy media, traditional media. Um, popular media. But if you're uh, a specialist or an expert in some more niche uh, area, you know, traditionally, it was kind of hard to be a celebrity um, in a traditional sense. But uh, social media um, does lots of things. And, and one thing it does, is it creates sort of platforms for people to um, gain some celebrity in their niche uh, area. Um, so you can be really good at something obscure uh, and the 200,000 other people in the world who care about that obscure thing can find you through social media and, and you are a celebrity um, to, in that area. Um, so this is it come into play in education uh, where, where teachers, um, you know, a high school English teacher can be a bit of a micro celebrity amongst high school English teachers. Um, where they might might have been harder to, to sort of establish a reputation or um, gain a, an audience previously for some uh, high school English teacher who maybe was really good and was no well known in their district, um, but you know they hadn't sort of uh, gotten to a celebrity teacher status by being named like a state teacher of the year or somehow writing a book while they were a teacher or something like that. Um, so yeah, that, that's a little bit about micro celebrity. Uh, Catherine, help me out. What I miss? What did I leave out? And or move on to to teacherpreneurship? No, I think you got it. Yeah, and so some of these education micro celebrities are more or less deserving of their position, right? So um, you know, in this research that we've been doing, we get to kind of spy on people's Instagram. Well, it's publicly available. So we're, we're just observing just like many, many, many teachers um, across the world are. And, you know, some of these micro celebrity influencer characters are doing great work. Like some of these teachers preaching about ABAR, you know, they're like, here's how to enact anti-bias, anti-racist pedagogies, you know, like, and this is hot off their Instagram feed in, you know, March, 2020. April 2020, May 2020, like here's how to react to George Floyd tomorrow in your class, right? And then there's others who are just on a different level, but still very popular. Um, and so, um, and on a different level uh, of triteness, right? Here's how to do a really cute spring bulletin board in, in March, 2020, in April, 2020. Um, Here's how to work on, you know, learning our color names, which, hey, maybe there's a place for these things as well. But um, not all micro celebrities are created equal in the education sphere. And that's a big thing that we observed. So one of their big topic that connects is online teacherpreneurs, which is kind of where I started a lot of my research trajectory was looking at teachers who sell stuff on teacherspayteachers.com and other online marketplaces. Amazon has one going. There's TES that's popular um, in Europe. A few others um, that are smaller and emerging and kind of it's an ever-changing space. So you never know which one's going to be popular, but Teachers Pay Teachers is the most popular right now. Um, and online teacherpreneurs we've understood as um, teachers who use online marketplaces to sell classroom resources, right? But we see a lot of overlap in the, um, those who are influencer, education influencers, education micro celebrities are often selling stuff too, right? Um, they might have some endorsements with particular brands outside of education, which is pretty fascinating. We saw, um, 
express for men right the the store in the mall like is the is a sponsor of one of these um influencers who we watched cricket you know the cricket machine that teachers love to um or and crafters love to cut stuff out you know they'll send a free cricket over to uh big influencer, but they also have their own little teachers pay teachers stores and little is, is an understatement. They have their own big stores. Some of these big power players on teachers pay teachers are small publishing companies working with, it's not just an individual teacher. It seems that way, um, but it's a whole group of people um, making, making it happen. Much like I think celebrities probably have a whole team behind them, right? I probably left stuff out, Jeff, that you can jump in on. <laughs> yeah, I'd just say, so some micro-celebrities appear not to have any sort of self-serving motivations. Maybe it gratifies their ego a little bit that, that they're getting, they're sharing their sort of wisdom, um, but, but some appear to make no effort to sort of monetize. Um, they're not trying to sell anything themselves and they're not endorsing uh, other folks stuff. So you can have that sort of type of micro celebrity who seems to be uh, doing it outside of sort of a self-promotional or capitalist neoliberal um, motivation. And I want to get more into those capitalist neoliberal motivations, but first um, thank you both for those um, like, Micro, um, micro celebrity, we've got like that bucket. And I think we've got that worked out. And then teacherpreneur, um, Catherine, following from the work that I first learned about you through on TPT, um, we've got that worked out. And then Jeff, you just pointed out about how in the manuscript there is um, in the figure specifically, that's so incisive. That's When I use the word incisive, that's what I had in mind. Some education influencers, some part of a sliver are not teacherpreneurs. One question I had, though, one follow-up um, before uh, Ryan will ask the next question, is what um, what makes a micro, an educational micro celebrity, um, an influencer? Because not all um, not all influencers, I'm sorry, not all micro celebrities are influencers. What is it about this term influencers that does some work to distinguish what some people are doing who are otherwise in this broader um, bucket of micro celebrity? Yeah, so we use influencers specifically to focus on folks who are monetizing, right? Through promoting, endorsing, advocating for particular products, services, uh, pedagogies um, that are not necessarily their own, right? So a, a teacherpreneur is understood to be sort of products. Um, whereas an influencer uh, is making money through an audience they have and the perceived influence they have with that audience. And they're making money by endorsing uh, third party ideas, products, services. Okay, mulling this over. Can I mull for one second? You can. Okay. So that's how an education influencer differs from a micro celebrity. And did I, did I, y'all, did I use the right term education micro celebrity? Cause this is, you did some work to say education specific yeah. and we're, yeah. Catherine, is that the right, is it educational micro celebrity or education micro celebrity that you all use? Yeah. I think there's a lot of lit on micro celebrity in general. Mm -hmm. um, but we were just zoning in on the educator niche. Okay. And I think, you know, the, the sum of why we think it's important to distinguish sort of an education micro-celebrity from a micro-celebrity in general um, it is that there's dynamics in the education field that are sort of unique around uh, education being considered a public good by a lot of people, um, by the fact that many educators do have more sort of altruistic motivations. Um, and so in some fields, it might be kind of weird that someone would be a micro celebrity and not be trying to sell like themselves or something, um, or, or, you know, or have this sort of, there's gotta be some reason um, behind them trying to grow their audience. And in education, um, I mean, this is one of, actually it's been interesting, like one of the sort of um, critiques or pushback we've gotten from a few people 
is people saying like, but there's people, there's educators on social media who are just doing it purely altruistically. Um, and we're, we agree and we acknowledge that there are educators on social media who do it from a uh, 100% or predominantly sort of altruistic motivation or purely trying to give back to the profession. Um, and so because there's just these unique sort of motivations in education and perhaps combination of motivations, we did sort of want to distinguish education micro-celebrities from the micro-celebrity term more broadly. Cool. All right. Thank, thank you both for working that out. I, I feel like I've got a clearer picture now and we'll have to include that image or at least a link to the article in the show notes because it, one thing I took away from this work at a meta level is that for a conceptual paper, um, for it to be really useful, you have to be really sharp and incisive. And I thought you all did that, like theoretically sharp work that makes this helpful, like just planting a flag for future future self or for if I ever have the chance to write this kind of piece that this is a great template for that. Ryan, you had a follow-up still on this topic. Is that right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I was going to, we can edit this part out, Josh, but I was going to ask if, if we, I think we've, we've answered this, this question already, but, but what was kind of going through my mind was in education, sometimes I feel like in public, so I work in K-12 education, so I kind of think of it from you know that point of view. We stumble upon, we like the royal, we the you know K-12 education community stumble on phenomena sometimes after other industries do. Like the one that comes to mind is how we use data and the parallels between that and the uh, how healthcare began to use data and the, and the challenges that they sort of face. I always think of them as a, an analogy, you know, for K-12 education. And so now um, I'm thinking from the point of view of social media use, um, a lot of businesses and media companies a long time ago have started using social media and then had to grapple with some of these same issues. And I guess one question for me is how much of this is like, can we pattern like if we sort of look internally as K-12 education folks using social media, how much can we use other media as an analogy for this? And how much of it is, okay, this, how much are challenges that like educators have had to face that maybe traditional businesses or media haven't? Um, I think we touched on this a little bit earlier before, but that, that sort of tension between altruism and profit. Are there other things also that make it so that like, this is kind of a unique thing? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, and Catherine, I want to let you jump in. But um, the first thing that comes to my mind is the identity piece. Um, so social media uh, is, is a space of identity work, identity construction, etc. Um, and, and teacher identity is a super complicated um, thing that a lot a lot has been researched and theorized around um, and, and that has that literature and theory is just beginning to sort of inform how we think about teacher social media use. And I do think that's going to be a bit different than sort of how social media has been used um, in some other uh, areas. So you know somebody who is um, an influencer in the travel industry, for example, uh, maybe somewhat um, unproblematically understood is like, yeah, you're, you're selling um, tourism and that, that's fine. And you don't need to grapple with sort of like complex ethical issues around, um, you know, what does it mean if I, you know, I, I need to be seen as a, a tourist. I mean, I guess that, that may not be a perfect comparison because I suppose there are ethics around tourism and things, but uh, maybe not around identity so much. So, you know, teacher identity, why people are drawn to teaching, um, I think is quite uh, different than perhaps why they're drawn to some other professions. Uh, and then there are these norms around sort of egalitarianism in teaching historically in the US um, that like influencing and micro celebrity both a little bit would be in tension with um, that maybe there wouldn't be, you know, the same, th there's not a norm of egalitarianism in uh, sports, for example, or some of these other fields where influencers, um, you know, marketing, um, things like that. Catherine, what, what do you think? 
yeah, to piggyback on what you were talking about with the identity piece, um, there's a lot of evidence that's come out lately that social media is harmful for us, right? In so many ways, um, in terms of kind of your self-confidence and self-concept. And you think of the teacher workforce as predominantly women, right? Um, I think there's a lot of layers to the way that teachers are engaging on social media and the impact of influencer identity on you as a, just an observer, right? Um, Pittard has written about this, Beth Pittard. We, we love her study and I think she has some new stuff coming out um, under a new last name because she changed her last name. But um, just about, you know, teachers, really women teachers needing to be good enough and the challenges that the idealized um, imagery on social media and the perfect resources and the beautiful bulletin boards and the teacher outfits, right? Um, really for teachers of all sorts, early career teachers who are developing their identity of who am I and what matters about who I am as a professional. Is it my bulletin boards or is it my pedagogy or is it my outfits or is it all of that? Um, and then more mature teachers too, right? Of, of feeling good enough. I, I um, yeah. <laughs> this is really great. Like one of the things that I love about, about your article is when I, I started reading it. In fact, when I just saw the title, I began to, I, I immediately thought this is describing a thing I have been feeling, but I, I didn't have words for like, I, you know, it didn't. And, and that was, and that was a really like immediately, as soon as Josh told me about it, I was like, I have to read this because I've been watching this and having feelings about it that aren't necessarily good nor bad, just feelings. And, uh, and to have language for it is really great. Um, one of the experiences that I had that I'm hoping, um, I'm wondering if you, you also have language for maybe if you've had this experience or you've seen other people and you can describe it is, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm an older public educator. Like I started in the early 2000s and before this, you know, was happening. And um, I uh, stopped, just hadn't really looked at social media for professional purposes for like, until recently, basically last few years. And then I came back and I started looking up school psychology and things like that, you know, which is how I was trained and saw that there were so many people online doing professional things uh, in a very social media way. Okay. Here's my question. My feeling was, whoa, uh, they're talking about the thing I, I know how to do, which is not, you know, I'd imagine it would be like a doctor for the first time seeing a, you know, television show like ER or something like that, where just like, this is like a full on conversation about my field. And it brought this perception of like uh, credibility to it, which felt both good, but in my gut also felt like, hmm, I don't know if this is okay. <laughs> I don't know if this is, I don't know if my sense of credibility should be resting on something, you know, that is outside of myself or a media base or something like that. Okay. All of that to say, is that, is that a common experience? Hey, have you seen other people talk about this? Have you yourself felt like that? Like, what's your take on that sort of experience? I do think so. So part of the reasons that influencers attract these big audiences is they are good at portraying themselves as very relatable to other teachers. So teachers start following them because uh, they see the content and they see themselves to some extent uh, the, in the content and the person, they feel like they know the, the person. Um, you know, it's, it's that, it's like this, it's almost like, oh, I'd be friends with that person if they were teaching at my school and I could have a conversation with them. Um, and so, uh, Micro-celebrities, probably, and influencers both are, are, are good at, at, at being relatable. Um, and then with influencers, it's really then interesting to think about, like, but, but they're monetizing. Um, and so how authentic and relatable are they? And how much is this sort of a calculation 
of like, okay, I know what people are going to find relatable. Uh, I know what, how to look authentic. And so I'll put these things out there. So, so Ryan will see him, you know, feel like, oh, I feel seen. Um, but at the same time, I'm, you know, I, I'm calculating this. This is a performance. And uh, by the way, uh, after you, at the end of my performance, uh, follow this link to, you know, some discount at Target or whatever it is, whatever way that they're um, making their money as an influencer. Yeah, it's kind of this fine line between <laughs> what can be trusted and what can't. But one really powerful piece that I do think we've been observing in our research is just the lived identities that are out there, um, you know, beyond the words. Like we um, observed a non-binary teacher um, influencer who is sharing about pronouns and their journey through that and their daily experience as a non-binary educator. We had, had observed um, educators with dis different disabilities who are very similarly open, um, educators of color, right? Um, so just, and I think that's powerful for people who are looking for somebody to identify with, but also for, again, going back to that largely white female teacher workforce of just getting a window into some other career teachers, pre-service teachers, people thinking about entering the profession who may not see themselves there yet, right? Um, and that might give a different, yeah, a, a window maybe for them, hopefully, a door. I think- um, um, Oh, sorry, Jeff, after you. Yeah, I was just gonna say like, um, I'm, I'm glad Catherine uh, followed up my very cynical uh, comment with one that like um, was a little more open to the fact that yeah it's not always um, you know consciously performative and calculated and and so that's but I guess that's part of the trickiness of it is that um, you know some some influencers are sharing very authentic slices of life that are are powerful um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, and so, and it could be the same influencer one day share something very true, authentic, positive and powerful for other educators to see. And then the next day um, share something that is, is coming from a very different place. And, and maybe their followers are savvy about sort of parsing um, the, the influencers varied motivations um, and, and maybe some of them aren't. So I think that's another thing that um, is sort of interesting to think through, um, like like what what who are the audiences for these influencers? Are they folks who are able to sort of pick and choose the method messages that are um, most meaningful and useful to them, uh, or are they sort of just hook line and sinker, swallowing everything the influencer has to say without any kind of creative filter or any kind of critical filter? Um, like you know, I'd like to think that most educators wouldn't be um, totally uncritical of, of things that influencers are saying. And then the really trippy piece is that we, in our research, have really systematically looked at what everybody's saying, right? So we've said, we're going to look at everything that you post over this period, every single thing. But authentic social media users are not getting every single thing that that person posts, right? They're, they're getting what the algorithm gives them and what comes through their feed and what they have a chance to scroll through. And it, I, it, you know, we have these findings about, oh yeah, there's powerful messages and then there's highly promotional messages. Well, what messages are actually getting observed by the teachers? I know that a lot of these platforms prioritize promotional content. So I'm sure that's getting in their feed, but is the like deep story without a link, without a hashtag, the vulnerable story of here's what I experienced, you know, this microaggression experience in my classroom and here's how I dealt with it. Are they even seeing that? That is such a good point uh, that I, you know, again, I don't know if it's just like a generational thing, but I think I've been operating under the assumption that, everything that I put out on social media is consumed by the people that like, that follow me. Like if I curate a, you know, a, a uh, series of posts 
and there's a narrative across those posts, I operate under the assumption that the entire narrative is consumed. When really, I think what you're saying, Catherine, which I remind myself occasionally, but I forget about it a lot, is that's not in my control. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, but I think what you're suggesting is it's not random, is it? Like it's, you know, people will respond to, you know, spicier parts of the narrative and then that mm-hmm. will feed the algorithm in a way that, that, that will, then the curation happens outside of like my, you know, my, my field of choice, which is that, that feels like a very nuanced uh, uh, take on this. Yeah. My, my wife um, is a librarian and she often posts about things she's doing in her library. And she had a post that like, it like hit some algorithmic limit and it started getting promoted beyond her immediate network. And she could tell right away, she could tell that people who have never interacted with a post before started to. And so more, you know, a great post might receive 20, 30, you know, interactions from fellow librarians. This one received, you know, 100, 200. Um, and it, it, it kind of hit that. that um, Did it happen to be a post that she wanted to have that much attention, Josh, just like curiosity? Yeah, in this case, it was, I think, a really powerful experience. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, I'll, I would let her speak as to exactly how, you know, whether it was positive or very positive or, or new, closer to neutral, but it wasn't negative. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll uh, chime in too that there's yeah, an added right. layer to that too, right? So we also know, and we speak a little bit to this in the article, but I mean, there are books written about the, um, just the bias inherent in, in the algorithms, right? I mean, we drawn Sophia Nobel's work, Ruo Benjamin's work, um, the reality is, is that if you have a darker face and in your photo, you're, you might not trigger the algorithm in the same way that a bright white face will. Um, and that was, that's particularly powerful to us when we were looking at influencers, educational influencers of color and people who are presenting different identities. Um, are they not being seen um, and heard because of the way the algorithm is? And we know that, that the answer is yes. Um, so uh, kind of a, something maybe latent and on a few occasions, um, explicit, um, or implicit and in a few cases explicit in this conversation is whether this is like a good or bad thing. And, and I think just a moment ago, Catherine, you presented some of the ways that, um, educational influence, education influencers can lead to in some way, shape or form, meaningful improvements in the profession. Um, and Jeff, you presented some ways um, that as you, I think maybe it's a little, I appreciate the self-criticism, but the uh, like cynical is the word you used. Maybe just shy of cynical, but maybe more skeptical. I, I, I kind of share that too. And I'm wondering if you can um, help us to think about like a listener who um, they're kind of coming from a place of maybe skepticism. Like what would you, what would you both tell them um, coming from slightly different places as you might um, like someone who maybe is skeptical of social media in general um, or somebody who has education influences in their feed. And when they see posts by them, they think kind of, kind of you, like, I think there's literally a parody account called like edgy celebrity or something like that. And in some of the posts <laughs> might sort of ring of, you know, those. Um, so could, what would you say to somebody who comes just generally from a place of skepticism? Catherine, I want you to go first on this one. (laughs) So I think actually I'm more of the, I think I am more the skeptic. We're probably trading roles um, all the time, but I probably tend to be more critical than Jeff. Maybe, maybe depends on the day. Um, So first of all, I think we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have written this paper. We wouldn't be continuing to engage in research on educator social media if we didn't see some sort of interest in it, right? Um, that there is some, some level of value to it, but I think we wanna look at how, um, how to do that in a healthy and productive and useful way. Um, and I think a lot of Jeff's early work is about the power of social media for professional learning. And I have experienced that firsthand as an educator. I was on Pinterest back in the day when I was still teaching high school Spanish and you know got tons of great ideas. Um, I think the platform has changed and it's a lot more bleh 
now, but in those early, early days, it was really exciting and cool to see all the visual ideas and to just kind of get your creativity flowing, right? Um, that said, I think the more that I engage with this work, the more I become increasingly um, skeptical is like too light of a word, um, mad at the platforms, right? That are just terrible. And they're just <laughs> extracting free labor from teachers, right? Making you addicted, um, making you feel not good enough because they're promoting the really cute outfits that come across your feed, but not maybe the deeper stories um, or the less glamorous things. Um, and so I think teacher influencers are probably largely well-intentioned, um, wanting to share some ideas, wanting to put stuff out there, but then they're also driven by what is gonna be seen. And some of them talk about this a little bit, but it's, I have to start making reels on Instagram so that I can have my content visible via the new algorithm. I have to adjust these things. Um, we saw copious promotional content in every way, shape of, and form, right? Linking to other influencers, um, promoting uh, things to buy, giveaway. Giveaway used to be a key word that was like up higher in the um, algorithm on Instagram at least. Um, and so you see them having to kind of play this game and you wonder, yeah, how is this limiting what they would be saying if not for that? Yeah, so um, Catherine and I have have said before, she kind of just said this, but just to, to um, re restate it, like we're, we tend to be more into criticizing the platforms than individual teachers. Um, so uh, that that's like an overarching theme. Um, a metaphor that is probably not a flawless metaphor, but um, I just came up with this uh, right now. Uh, in, in, is it, I mean, the sort of like, is it good or is it bad question it, to me is sort of like, is rain good or bad? Um, it's like, it's gonna, like, there's gonna be rain. Um, you know, we're not gonna get rid of rain. Um, and so to me, it's more sort of like, well, you know, sometimes rain is nice. It cools us off. Um, it's a change of pace. Uh, you know, we, we have to have the proper clothing on <laughs> to, to deal with the rain um, or an umbrella or whatever. Uh, other times rain can really ruin your day or, you know, flood your city or people can die, you know, because of too much rain. Um, and so it's something that is a part of the world social media, it's not going away. Um, teacher social media is not going away. Um, influencers, I think, are, are here as a thing that we have to sort of figure out, like, how do we live with them? Um, how do we uh, figure out how to get some of the positives out of um, their presence? How do we maybe encourage them <laughs> to, to offer more uh, th that's positive and, 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 and not um, maybe have so much of their attention focused on chasing the algorithm, for example. Um, yeah, I don't know if that metaphor. I love is, that metaphor. Flawless, but <laughs> I've got one quick, one quick follow-up to you both on a better social media experience. You, me, other, you know, others like us in education, what can we do as individuals? Should we like, you know, different kinds of posts when someone shares something flashy, maybe don't like it when someone shares some, you know, deep kind of heartfelt thought, we should like it more profound things that we can do to change these. I mean, uh, a, a little bit, that's like the drop in the ocean um, approach that, you know, mother Teresa would say like, it still has meaning for that extra drop to be in the ocean. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, An edited out piece. Um, let me pull it together. <laughs> I might, maybe I'll ramble a little bit and I'll get there. Um, I don't know, guys, I lost it. I think um, that, you know, like, yeah. like, um, Dan Kreka, who I've done some research with, um, he had a, a period of time where he was sort of like advocating for people to try and hold the social media companies more accountable 
um, and, and sort of push them to change what they do. Um, and I don't want to speak for him, but um, I, I, I feel like uh, he and, and I myself and probably included are, are not really sure that's going to work. <laughs> um, like, I, I, yeah, I shouldn't speak for him, um, but, but I, I don't currently have a whole lot of optimism about sort of um, a, a user revolt uh, causing the social media platforms to reform their behaviors in ways that would make them sort of more educationally positive spaces. Um, I don't know if we're getting to a point where sort of uh, governments might have the wherewithal to do something like that. Um, <laughs> probably not the current government that that are yeah whatever the dynamic that we currently have in U.S. politics. I don't know if there's an expertise and um, motivation, but yeah, yeah. So I, I think this is you know a little itty bitty drop in the bucket, but it's if, if there's people who aren't productive for you that you're following, you unfollow them, right? I did this the other day with a. Um, <laughs> So I also have like a fitness Instagram side that just motivates me when I never work out and just I watch all of my fitness influencers working out all day and making me probably feel bad about myself. But I, I came to the realization that one of these women that I follow probably has like a full on filter on herself at all times. And that every single photo that I'm seeing is like fully doctored. Um, and video, right? And, and maybe that even subliminally is just making me not feel great. <laughs> so bam, unfollow. Like she's out of my world. She's been a part of my life for years, guys. And she's gone. Yeah. But I, I think doing that and um, spreading the word when you find a great person to follow who inspires you, share it with your friends. Send a link over and they can check it out. And um like, like we said, I think um, initially in this work, we were taking kind of broad samplings. Um, Stephanie Shelley and I were looking at what's out there. Who are these popular influencers? And a lot of them are not great, but some of them are great. Okay, so then we went on to the subsequent work where we brought in Jeff and said, let's look at people doing culture responsive pedagogy, people presenting different identities, people kind of pushing the bar on education in terms of they're bringing a critical lens to this. They, they are culturally competent and responsive. Um, so there are good influencers out there just kind of finding them and amplifying them in your world. I love where this conversation is, is going. I, I have a related, uh, related question, which is, you know, first I should point out, you know, we, I think we should probably admit the irony of this is like our, the connection between all of us and the organization of this, this uh, episode was on social media. My first thought, as soon as uh, Josh mentioned the article, I, I was, my first thought was, oh, I'll just go to Twitter and we'll find them. And, uh, and, and that's where, uh, you know, where we connected. And I promise that, uh, you know, once this episode is edited, Josh and I will be promoting it quite heavily <laughs> on social media. But it leads me to this question that's been just like top of mind for me as I listen to both of you uh, is that I myself, I think Josh, maybe probably the four of us create a pretty decent amount of content on social media and put it out there. And uh, I would like to be a better creator and contributor to social media. I know that, uh, you know, I tend to take the approach of you know, the aggregate of a lot of really good small behaviors is like, you know, really good uh, change, right? Over time. Uh, so not not necessarily asking, how do I change all of social media? I know that's not going to happen. But when I get up every morning and I create and I choose what to share and I choose how to talk about it, I, I choose the people like in your work, are you, have you identified practical behaviors that we could engage in ourselves or if other people who are online ask us that we could say like here's something easy you could do um what's your take on that Catherine you want to go on that one or I I could if you want more think time I just noted that that we should just write an article about that that'll be our next article (laughs) I would love I would read it (laughs) over and over again (laughs) 
Yeah, like, and, you know, very accessible for teachers who are users of the space. Like, yeah, bullet points. <laughs> A blog post, 10 practical behaviors for mm -hmm. teachers who, yeah, follow influencers on I would retweet media. that. <laughs> right? <laughs> the algorithm would like it too. Yes. <laughs> So, I mean, one of the things I'd just say is, um, like, uh, like I, I think, uh, I don't know whether this will actually get you in the algorithm, um, but, you know, one of the things that, uh, that Catherine pointed out is this literature about sort of the risks of social media creating these unrealistic, unhealthy expectations of what is good enough. And so there probably are individual behaviors that we can all do to work against that. Right. And to sort of, um, you know, I've seen in higher ed um, Twitter, there, there's some there's uh, sporadic attempts to sort of like normalize failure um, or, uh, you know, that, you know, articles get um, rejected, grants get, you know, you, you write grants many times, they don't go anywhere. Um, and so sort of maybe trying to work against uh, the social media as highlight reel. Um, and just because, you know, that, that can be harmful when, when, when folks um, see social media and it is essentially just this highlight reel uh, and it results in these social comparisons and you feel like, oh, wow, I had a terrible week because I didn't publish an article and have a grant come out and teach a killer lesson, you know, whatever. Um, and it's like, well, those things don't happen every week, <laughs> right? And, and so I, I think there is, um, I, I've seen powerful positive threads around that. Um, uh, someone even, I, I was introduced to the idea through social media of like people should have sort of like a CV of failures, right? So you should sort of write out all, all the things that, um, you know, didn't, uh, you, you were not successful with and that maybe that then like, you know, mentors could share that with their mentees. Uh, and it may, I don't know if that has to be on social media um, itself, but yeah, like uh, that, that's a thing that comes to mind. Another thing is kind of pushing back against the individualism of social media, right? So it's these individual influencers who are these superstars you know, what makes them a superstar? I don't know what, but they have the secret, the secret recipe. Um, and then you as a user are using it super individually, right? It's you on your phone. It's personalized to you. You've cultivated these people that you follow only. And so it's how to push back against that because as teachers, we're working as a team, right? Each kid is going to have how many different teachers in their life? You are a team. Within your school, you are a team. Um, and so thinking about how to then use those ideas and inspirations and the good that maybe you're getting online to bring that back to your local level and to push back against that individual silo um, that I think teachers, it's, it's hard. Um, but yeah, texting each other a message, uh, you know, of something that you saw to your, your grade level group, um, talking about it at the teacher happy hour, um, bringing these things to a bigger, bigger effort. And I think that's especially true for, you know, teachers who are interested in equity and justice work that's big and hard. You're not going to do it by yourself. Um, and bringing those ideas to the bigger, the bigger group, you know, hey, let's listen to this podcast together, where we learn about this and we discuss, because I saw it on my um, Twitter feed or whatever. Thanks, Catherine. I'm glad you mentioned that, um, in part because earlier I wanted to talk, I mentioned I wanted to have us talk a little bit more about um, this point you make about individualism and commercialism. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad you, you touched back on that and kind of helped us think about not individualism, but kind of how we work with others and then how we do that, not for monetary or like individual ends, but to maybe do a better job as a program or a team or a school. Um, I'm going to use this as a chance to transition to our last uh, set of questions, which are overrated or underrated. Um, these questions ask you to um, to 
say whether um, something is, in your view, overrated, uh, underrated, or something else, you can consider it to be kind of properly rated. Um, and if you wish, you can choose to pass on, on each of these. Um, Ryan, do you want to lead us off with the first? Yeah, I'll go with the first one. Uh, okay, so uh, overrated or underrated? First one, TikTok. No, it's complicated. Which is why this question is fun because we are making you pick one. <laughs> over, I'll go overrated. Overrated, reluctantly overrated. Okay. <laughs> I reject the premise of your question. And I focus <laughs> on teacher TikTok. So slice out teacher TikTok. And I think it's underrated. You can Fair reject enough. the premise of the question. Um, yes. uh, AirPods. Oh, underrated. Overrated. Mm, interesting. Really interesting. Okay. Uh, this one is spontaneous based on our uh, pre-conversation. Overrated or underrated? Hot water. Underrated. Catherine, <laughs> how do we get along doing research together? It's free and delicious. Uh, I wanted one of the things before we go into uh, Josh's next overrated, underrated, I do want to point out I've been really enjoying watching the conversation between y'all because I feel like I've gotten a glimpse into what it must have been like to write this this paper together. Just the back and <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, I'll, I'll leave that there. It's been, that's been fun. Okay, Josh, back to you. Room temperature water. Overrated, underrated, properly rated. Underrated. All water is underrated. <laughs> I, I agree with that. Yes, all water is underrated. I think that makes our uh, next next question moot, which was cold water, but I'll just, we'll, we'll assume the same answer there. I'm going to take the next Can one. I, I, I have to weigh in on this real quick. I think yeah, cold please. water is, is quite overrated. I often... Um, push back on receiving very, very icy water. I want to drink the water. I don't need it to be that cold. Sorry. I, no, it's okay. Whatever, I agree with that. Whatever water floats your boat, I'm okay <laughs> with. Just hydrate or die, mate. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay. Overrated or underrated? North Carolina. Yeah, I don't, I, I didn't put that one in there. Josh did. <laughs> Under Sorry, Josh, I had to. <laughs> underrated. I hear great things. Underrated. I've never been. Um, I recently had the pleasure of traveling to Arizona for the first time. My parents live in uh, part of, of this th uh, area. Um, so, so I'm sensitive that this might not be the right way to ask. So in Tennessee, we have East Middle and West Tennessee, not Eastern Tennessee. So if I'm saying this incorrectly, please correct me, but Southern yeah. Arizona, the Southern half roughly. Okay, yeah. Like Tucson? Overrated, underrated? Um. Oh, underrated. I went to school at University of Arizona. I love Tucson. It's beautiful. That's why celebrities have so many houses there. Hey, Catherine, what do you think it, uh, people miss about uh, that area in their evaluation of it? that causes them to underrate it, uh, uh, underrate it, yeah. What they miss, um, yeah. just the natural beauty, right? Mm. It's true desert, which I think is hard to come by and mountainous desert. And um, Tucson, well, Southern Arizona has um, a lot of influence from Mexico and yeah, mm. a lot of Spanish influence there, which is fun. Okay. Uh, staying with the precarious topic of uh, American wait, did, did regions. We, wait, did we hear Jeff? Did oh, Jeff, sorry. Did you weigh in? Go ahead. Well, where does Southern, what, what's the cutoff? So like, I've never actually been to Tucson. I know the Phoenix Metroplex, but is that Southern? No. Okay. So I shouldn't weigh in. <laughs> I think that's Central. I don't know. Central. Yeah, maybe it's like northern Arizona, so where I live, Flagstaff, Grand Canyon. Then central might be Phoenix, and then southern Arizona is like Tucson. I am ignorant to southern. 
I, it's funny. I didn't realize how this is one of those things you don't realize until you actually attempt it. How precarious the uh, um, the overrated or underrated game is with like general like American regions. <laughs> We've got one more just to stay to stay committed on this. Overrated or underrated? Northern Arizona. Underrated. I love underrated. it. Underrated. Underrated. Okay. Beautiful. Jeff and I Jeff. talk about Sedona a lot which is like one of the best places ever. Okay. And Jeff, what do you feel is missed uh, by the, by folks who would underrate? Northern well, so Arizona? in addition to the Grand Canyon and Flagstaff and Sedona, which are sort of the big ticket items, there's mm -hmm. lots of cool other little towns uh, in Northern Arizona um, that, that are worth visiting and, and are a lot of fun. My, my kids uh, love some of the, there's like the, the Western themed stuff. Um, uh, that, yeah, there's a lot to do in that area. Yeah, little town. Yeah. Easy one to finish on, social media. Overrated. Yeah, overrated. Do y'all uh, consider, I probably should have asked this during the main part of the podcast, but do y'all consider like, websites as social media it feels like a different beast okay different yeah we've um actually stephanie our co-author who i wish she was here for overrated underrated because yeah. it'd be fun to hear what she had to say um but she she has a sick kid at home but um stephanie and shelly and i have and, and then bringing Jeff along have talked about, you know, kind of this larger ecosystem of where teachers are getting content online, because mm -hmm. it's more than just social media, right? Yeah. It's they're on Pinterest and they're on TikTok, which are officially social media, mm -hmm. but they're on YouTube. Is that social media? Mm -hmm. And then they're on all these teachers who have their own blogs where they publish stuff. And then they're on teachers pay teachers and these marketplace websites. So we were like, what is this? We've been calling it a teacher to teacher online marketplace of ideas, right? Marketplace of ideas, this mm -hmm. kind of vast ecosystem in this online space of ideas that are in all these different kind of repositories. Um, but yeah, it's definitely more than just social media. That's so interesting. Uh, would y'all like to have any last words? Um, this would have been a better podcast if Stephanie had been here. <laughs> we'll have great. to have you back. But um, it was not meant to be. And hopefully we, we, did, we, we adequately represented the paper. So anything we did a poor job of is, is Catherine and I's fault, not hers. True. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, speaking personally, though, I suspect Josh feels the same way. Josh, I'll let you speak for yourself. This has really got me thinking about the way I use social media, not only as a consumer of it, but like I put my writing on social media all the time and it's, and it's how I invite people to engage my work. And it really has got me thinking about how to do this better. I know there are no easy answers, but I wanted to thank y'all for, for tackling the very difficult job of giving language to this thing that just feels uh, very difficult to describe. It's an incredibly nuanced topic. And so thank you for, uh, for writing that because uh, it, it, like, it's, it will change my practice for sure. So thank you. Well, thank you for the invite to come on. We enjoy talking about this stuff. Um, and uh, the overrated, underrated item that I'm going to put out there is Alan Iverson. Uh, <laughs> I was expecting that to be one of the questions. So that's a big miss on our part, Josh. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the hot seat now. I'm going to say <laughs> pro properly rated. Properly rated. That's fair. Reject the premise of the question as I did. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go. go I would say underrated to my own question, but Ryan. I'm going to say this is a point of view just can only distinctly be mine, which is underrated only because Josh introduced me to the entire uh, about practice interview. And then when I, I watched it, I was consumed by it. I couldn't stop reading about it and, uh, and finding all of the other uh, cultural references to it. So for me, uh, highly underrated. And I had to Google his name, so I don't even... Not worthy of <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you, Catherine. We'll end on that note if that's okay. Um, hey, Catherine, um, uh, Jeff, thank you both. Um, I echo what Ryan said and also just want to thank you for sharing your time and expertise. Um, it's very valuable and I'm glad we get to share um, a little bit of that through uh, this platform. Thank you. I'm both. so curious about uh, how you, you would answer our traditional closing question and the tra traditional closing question of all podcasts. Where can people find you online? <laughs> Uh, Twitter for me at Jackie Carpenter. Same Twitter um, at Catherine Shelton. I love that. All right, Make, making Twitter a better place. It's it's safe in your hands. <laughs> we try. Yeah. Okay, y'all. Thank you so much. You have to come back on the show next time with Stephanie. And we'll uh, yeah, let's let's do this again because this is a big topic. Can't possibly cover it in one show. So thank you so much for coming. I hope y'all have a have a great weekend. Thank you.